0: In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Mike and I do, like we do every week, completely make it up as we go along. And this is episode 400. So it's quite a milestone. Today we're going to be talking about the importance of consistency. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 400. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Rob. And I'm Mike. And we're here to share our experience to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. 400 episodes,
1: sir. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I did it all by myself.
0: <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> uh, how does it feel?
1: I don't know. I Yeah, I, I feel very run down today, but I don't think it has anything to do with like episode 400. I think it has to do with the fact that yesterday was 4th of July here. So I went, we had a bunch of people over and my kids are away for the week on vacation or they either a, a sleepaway camp. So we had a bunch of people over and we're just like grilling and Swimming in the pool, which was like 92 degrees or something like that, and we don't even we haven't even kept it covered for several days. It's just hot as heck.
0: Yeah, and you, so that meant you were hanging out. So you drank too much. So then you're hungover and tired today. I, I'm just
1: tired. It, I, I'm not hungover. <laughs> that's the funny part. But well, I don't know. if It's just funny, but I, I'm not hungover. I'm just tired. I don't. I didn't sleep very well. I don't think. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and that's I, I feel a little bit the same way you do. You know, we had friends over as well. I'm also kind of tired from the heat and just from whatever else. I think the the four hundred episode thing makes me feel if anything, it makes me feel old. Yeah. You know? It's like we've been doing this for eight years, I believe. Is that right? I wasn't at 2010? Yeah,
1: it twenty ten? Yep, it's twenty ten. Yeah,
0: and it was like March, February somewhere between February and April of twenty ten. I could look at the archives page, I suppose. But it's a long time to do this, you know, and we have, I mean, we've had millions and millions of downloads. I was just looking at the statistics, millions of downloads, tens of thousands of listeners per episode. So it's definitely, I mean, we've built something, you know, we built something pretty special, I think that, that resonates with people. And not only that, I mean, we'll talk more about our favorite episodes and, and we have some listeners wrote in and I thought that was, that was really nice. But I think it's a, a testament that, you know, we basically were able to launch microconf out of the podcast. I mean, I I don't know that we could have grown it to what it is without the show. You know, it's like the entire conference. I mean, these days, MicroConf is its own name. But back in the day, I mean, we really sold tickets based on, it was kind of like my email list, your email list, and people listening to startups for the rest of us.
1: Yeah. And I think that just having that podcast episode that dropped every single Tuesday, almost without fail, it, it makes people feel like they're part of something. And then when you come to MicroConf, like you're meeting the same type of people who are listening to the podcast. And as you said, like things have grown, and it's people who come to MicroConf don't necessarily always listen to the podcast. It's, it's taken a life of its own, but in the early days, like that, that was really what drove that, that audience, I'll say.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, how about you? What else is going on this week?
1: Well, I have a meetup that I put together this evening. I'm meeting a bunch of people who are either Foundry Cafe members or attended MicroConf We're both this evening over in Worcester. So uh, that should be fun. We're going to head over to, uh, I think it's British Beer Works or something like that and meet up around six o'clock and just have a couple of drinks, have dinner and just talk business.
0: That's cool. That's super cool. Did you just initiate that out of nowhere?
1: Well, it wasn't completely out of nowhere. When we set up the uh, Slack group for MicroConf, there were a bunch of people in there who were like, hey, who's in the greater Boston area? And a few different people chimed in. And I think that there was even a, a private channel that was created for people who were in the greater boston area and then a couple of people mentioned getting together and what i did was i just went through and looked to see who had come to microconf who was in the boston area and I just emailed them and i have like a, a running list of people that i know who live in the area and i just went through and emailed them all and said hey here's the here's a time date and place and uh, who wants to get together and about half dozen people or so chimed in and said yeah absolutely let's go that's
0: super cool that'll be a nice size group too Getting six people together is, I, I like that size.
1: Yep. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Cool.
0: Well, I'm, I'm interested to hear, you know, once once you've done it, I'm interested to hear how, how it was on the show.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's something we've actually talked a little bit about in the past, just in the background, you know, between you and me, just figuring out, like, is that something that we kind of wanted to facilitate in different places? And I think that it's, I, I don't know, is there's like a good technical way to manage that, to be honest. Like,
0: yeah. The Tropical NBA guys do their, their Juntos or Juntos. I'm not sure how they pronounce it, but they do have local meetups. So it's, it's definitely possible, but it's always been the question of do we have the bandwidth? Or if we don't do it and we hire someone to do it, how do we make it pay for itself, basically, right?
1: No. Mm-hmm. So. Right.
0: Yeah. I think it's something I mean we've talked about not wanting to run an events business, you know, like we don't want to be in the events business and yet we throw <laughs> three events a year already with the three microconfs. And I think if we did did the juntos, it would um you know, or something like that, local meetups basically it would it would definitely span out. And so I think if we had the aspiration, we could totally pull it off. It's just neither you or I have ever really kind of wanted to gear up and, you know, not work on our, you know, our, our software products uh in order to do that. But
1: yeah, I think that's the the biggest issue is just having the bandwidth to be able to do it. And, you know, as as you said, like without charging for it and hiring somebody to help manage and facilitate all that, it'd be really hard for us to pull it off.
0: Yeah. So last weekend, I went to a it was a it was a three day mastermind retreat is what I'll call it. And it was the Rhodium community. So, you, you know, Rhodium Weekend, have you heard of it? Mm hmm yeah so Chris Yates runs rhodium, and i ha- I have a lot of respect, much like you know I often tell people that microconf is like the the younger sibling of b o s you know it 's less expensive it's more f- focused on slightly earlier stage companies, very few have funding you know and b o s is is a different story it 's still very much about building real software companies and not kind of the venture back stuff even though some of them do take venture funding. But I have a lot of respect for BOS. I also have a lot of respect for Rhodium Weekend. And it's, it's a 100-person event held in Vegas every year. It's run by Chris Yates. And it is more about buying and selling websites. So there's a lot of talk of that and a lot more kind of internet marketing. But what I found is it's like microconf, it's, like, it's very ethical. Since Chris has built the audience, he's been very picky about who he lets in. And so it's not the kind of sleazy internet marketing. I mean, you can go to a lot of really shit internet marketing conferences, you know, no. where, where people are no. pitching from the stage and it's all about say. and that's not what Rhodium is. So every year there's a Rhodium conference. And then he has this mastermind that he runs that Sherry, my wife is a part of, and it's a monthly call with, I think it's about 14 people and they do hot seat format. They do all kinds of stuff. Right. So I had the opportunity to, once a year, that group, that small group of of 14, goes to a house and stays there for three days, and they do hot seat format. And Sherry was unable to make it, and there was a seat open, and so they invited me, because I know Chris, and I actually knew a few people in the group as well. For me, I had to really think about whether or not I wanted to do it because that format, I know you've done this with Big Snow Tiny Conf. I've never done that. I've done really small things, you know, where there's four or five people, and then I obviously do microconf, but that in-between felt very uncomfortable for me going into it, especially not knowing, uh, you know, I think I knew three people there in advance. And I really debated whether to go or not, and in retrospect, it was... Awesome. Like it was really, really good. As I kind of knew in the back of my mind it would be, but it was um, for me, there was certainly some, I'll say, going into social kind of, I was, I felt a little introverted and didn't, and everybody else knows each other really well, you know, because they're on these calls and, and they hang out. But it was a big deal. It was kind of game changing for me in terms of my thought process of, I think I want to do that again. You know, it makes me really want to do a, one of the big snow tiny coughs. now that I have more scheduling flexibility. I don't ski, but I'll, drink hot chocolate and, you know, read comic books or something while you guys ski, but I don't ski or snowboard, but I think I want to like, you know, do it. Cause that was the cool thing about it is it it really opened my eyes to the value that you can get from a a group of that size. And that was my doubt. I mean, there were certainly some struggles with it too. Some of the, with 15 people, it is just, I think in my, my opinion, it's just a little bit too big. I would love for it to be like eight to 10 you know, and that would be kind of a perfect size. But with all that said, I can imagine that it might be even more valuable to have everyone having the same type of business or at least similar because they they were all over the board. There are people who literally just build and buy content websites that they monetize with affiliate links and AdSense. There were e-commerce, there were e-commerce dropshipper, there were people who manufacture their own products, there were two or three SaaS, there were some people who just do a lot of SEO and they just build sites and sell them. And so it's a real wide variation of who's done what And I think that was super helpful. But I also think, you know, I imagine if everyone was SaaS that there could potentially be more value to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it goes both ways, though, because if you if you have people who are doing things in different types of businesses, then you get to see you you get an, a different perspective than you would if everybody is doing the same type of thing. So if everyone's doing SaaS, you don't get the perspective of we're e-commerce and this is how we do affiliates and like they may do them very differently and you you can get really good solid takeaways from those that you can put, to put together and put forth in your business that are going to work for you. But you would not get that if like everyone is like always talking to the same types of people, I'll say.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It's a good point. And that is, that absolutely was true. I was surprised how much I had to offer someone doing Dropship e-commerce. It was more than I thought. And, and some hot seats would start and I'm like, boy, I'm not sure I have anything to add here. And then I would have insights. It's like, oh yeah, that was similar to my experience with drip. You know, it just have. I mean, there's enough overlap with these businesses. Maybe it's 60% similarity because it's always, there's always going to be marketing and there's SEO and there's learning, you know, affiliate programs or whatever that's similar. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, maybe having everyone is the same would working on the same type of thing would, would take away from that, you know, the variety of thought or whatever.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's probably the case. I mean, if you, it depends on specifically what you're looking for. I mean, you could easily have a group that is all the same types of people and then a different group that is very different. And it kind of depends on what you're trying to get out of the group. So, yeah, I, I think that that's more the issue than anything else. Because, I mean, it Big it Snow tiny conf. I mean, Chad Deshawn runs BoardGameTables.com, and he's got some fantastic ideas. But, like, because he's B2C and he's selling physical products like he's not the type of person i would probably end up in a group with but he's got fantastic ideas like i've seen some of the stuff he does and it's just amazing so and then there's other ones who are doing more e-commerce type businesses and you get some great ideas from them people too
0: yeah that makes sense
1: i don't know depends on what you're looking for
0: and you know for me where i'm at right now where i don't really want to start another SaaS app it was super helpful because i was able to talk to people about What it's like running an e-commerce shop. Not that I'm going to necessarily run one, but I at least had, you know, I was able to talk for an hour to someone who's been running e-commerce, manufacturing their own stuff for 10 years. And it's like, wow, those are the headaches of it. I don't think I want to do that. And then another guy who's built two authority content sites from scratch, like where he, not just these little content sites that have AdSense or whatever, but like really built something substantial that he sold... I'm presuming, I'm presuming they're both, you know, six figure exits, and I don't know how much they were, but he had a whole process and a whole, a whole realm of knowledge that I have just not been exposed to. And so that was helpful for me to be like, yeah, maybe, maybe a content sign, you know, maybe an authority content sign is the next thing for me. It just got me thinking along different lines, which is helpful because I am at this point kind of directionless in, in the sense of what I am gonna do next.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious to know, like, what was it that you went into thinking that you were going to get out of it? Because obviously you had some hesitations going into it. And I think most of those were just the fact that the people in the group probably knew each other. Did you make the mistake of asking if everyone knew who you were? Of course not.
0: I never do that. <laughs> You've done that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Did you do that at Big Snow Tiny Cough? And you're like, no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it that way.
1: Yes, uh, that was that was my first year because everybody had been talking to each other, and I showed up late. I was like three hours later than everybody else, and it seemed like everyone knew each other and they, like. They knew who I was, but it, I wasn't sure. And I just said, "Does anyone here not know who I am?" And is the words oh. left? I'm like, no. <laughs> I misphrased that. That's not what I meant. Yes, that is. Everyone uh, laughed. It's been a running joke for like three or four years now, though. <laughs>
0: that, oh, that's funny. No, Chris. Chris had told me that that the folks in the group knew knew of me or knew who I was, and I I don't know if that's through being married to Sherry because she's in the group or just kind of my. It's just our circles cross, you know. Sure enough, but. Yeah, pretty much everyone. It was kind of nice. Most people knew. There were a few people who were like, hey, they just knew me as Sherry's husband. And then when it came up that I was the the co-founder of Drip, it was like, oh, I love Drip. So that was actually kind of cool. I think almost everyone in the group used Drip or uses Drip. So that was a, a touch point for some folks, which was nice.
1: Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned overlapping circles, like as my wife has been spinning up her business and getting into different things with like Facebook ad campaigns and this and that. It's just like there are certain things that are recommended to her, certain types of products. So like our circles are starting to overlap in more ways here and there. And it's just it's it's just funny hearing some of the tools that she's starting to use. I am like, oh, yeah, I know. I either know who that person is or, or like I've heard of the tool before and have thoughts and opinions on it. So uh,
0: that's funny. Yeah yeah so you know you asked me what i thought i was going to get out of it i thought that being in a room with a dozen successful founders you know people who have launched businesses grown businesses and several who have exited some multiple times i just thought that there would be interesting conversation and that i would learn something and that's you know i went in very deliberately within the first day i kind of knew everybody and so at dinner i was like you know what i'm really interested In what this guy has to say about like content sites, you know, authority sites that have a personality, right? Not just kind of article factories, but actually having a point of view and everything. And so I sat next to him and I kind of, you know, he asked me a bunch of questions. Uh, about what I was going to do next. And he said during his process of exiting and then doing his next thing, he made some mistakes. So he made some recommendations for that. And then I grilled him for quite a while about, you know, how would you, if you were to do one from scratch, what would it look like if you were to acquire one? So I wanted to pick people's brains and get an idea of what it's really like to run all these different types of businesses. I think that's really what I went in doing. And I came away with not only that knowledge, but I was also inspired. I think that over the past, you know, I'll say several months, I'm not that motivated to start something new. You know, it's just because it's so much work, right? I mean, as as we know and as we talk about on the show and as we've lived. And it's a lot of it can be really stressful. And at this point, I don't know why I would put myself through that again. And that's that's the struggle. But I also want to do interesting things. You know, I want to work on things that I'm excited about. So part of that has been helping. I help Sherry a lot with Zen Founder stuff. And I'm gearing up some of that marketing. But in addition to that, I, I do think that I need a project to just be working on. And so I'm trying to strike that balance of having something that's interesting, but not so stressful that I don't have to work on all the time, but I can when I need, you know, when I want to. So that's where like a SaaS app becomes a really tough sell because it's just so needy. You know, it's like having a new baby versus these other, some of these other business models are a lot easier to have in a, in a mode where you can swoop in, do a bunch of work and then leave it for a while. You know, and that's, those are the businesses I had before SaaS. Those were the businesses I had and and my life was definitely more calm back then. So it was good as it, that's what I got out of it was being exposed to other business models and, and ways to, you know, if, if I look back at my experience, I mean, I was I've always wanted like financial freedom, you know, and the freedom to work on interesting things and work on what I want. I tried to get that early on with investing like in stocks and then I tried to do it via real estate and then I did it via entrepreneurship and even in the early days it was not all software, right? I acquired some ebooks. I did. I had an e-commerce site, I had this whole variety of things and then I got into SaaS and, you know, have been through that but it's like I've, I've never been married to a single kind of business model, you know, or a single way to make money or have been dogmatic about it. So should we dive into the importance of consistency? Sure. Why don't we? This is, I mean, this is hey, it's a four-hundredth episode, man. We we this is, we kind of get to do what we want to do today, I think. Like that's how I feel about this, you
1: know? I think technically we have to do that every time. Yeah, that's
0: but... true. This is good. That's <laughs> a good technicality. So we did we did get some some high fives and some compliments from a couple folks. Austin Peake wrote in and he said I just want to thank you. I've been listening to your podcast for years and you guys helped inspire me. I can remember the second you changed my life and opened me up to even more business podcasts. It was episode 240. I was folding laundry in my bedroom. I stopped what I was doing and I wrote down every other podcast you mentioned and it helped change my life. So that, that's kind of cool. I mean, we, we get these now and again, these, you know, you've changed my life or, or really opened my eyes to something that I, that I didn't see before. And I think you and I could take for granted that we just hop on the mic every week and we ship the podcast and we, you know, 20 to 30 minutes typically, but we really have had a a striking impact on a lot of people, both through, you know, Founder Cafe and and Micropreneur Academy and MicroConf and the podcast. And in fact, I want to roll an audio clip here from, uh, fat cat apps own david heenberger
1: hey Robin, mike this is david heenberger i've been listening to your podcast since the early days and it's had
0: a huge impact on me the biggest thing was when i first listened to the podcast i was stuck in a consulting business that i wasn't really enjoying that much and by listening to your podcast and following rob's advice of stair-stepping I was able to get out of consulting, launch a number of successful WordPress plugins, and now over the last year also launching a successful SaaS app. So this podcast has just had a huge impact on me. Thanks so much for everything, guys. And Mike, you and I don't, I don't think we toot our own horns very much. And I think that's probably a good quality. I think that's, you know, we, we come across as authentic on the podcast because we kind of just are who we are. But I think the 400th episode is a, is a time when we can kind of celebrate what we've done, what we've built, and and the impact that we've we've had on people. I, I was perusing our very ancient website, startupsfortherestofus.com. We need a facelift on that thing soon. But there's a success stories tab. And we stopped updating this a while ago. But Basically, we did a call at one point for people who had listened to the podcast and launched a product that allowed them to leave their day job. And there's about 20 names on it. And again, we we added names for a couple months and then stopped. So I know that there, there are more people impacted, but Kevin Taylor from Beam Calcs, Duncan Murtaugh from Vetter, Tom Fakes from FHR News, Phil Dirksen from WP Simple Pay, David Heenberger, who just sent the voicemail in, Jerome Samuel's Breck uh, Palumbo from Distressed Pro. You know a lot of I don't know a lot of folks don't know that he he was an early member of the Micropreneur Academy and said that he implemented you know a bunch of stuff that that we'd mentioned in there. Jordan Shearer from Wide Fido. Nate Grahek from Sticky Albums. I mean, Sticky Albums is, a, as far as I know, is a seven-figure business, very successful in the photography space, and, and he had just been a long-time listener. Richard Chen from PHP Grid, and, and there are others, but I think it's kind of cool to do that. I think for me, a lot of times, it doesn't feel real. Yeah, what's your take on it? How does all that resonate with you?
1: No, I, I agree with you. I think I'm in the same camp where I don't think about it often, except when, you know, I mean, occasionally we will get somebody who writes into us and s- to questions at startupsforresthouse.com and says, hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know I, we did this. And hey, would you mind putting a link up under the success story? So those we obviously don't go and update it a lot. But there are occasions where people will write in and, s- and say something and say, hey, it changed my life or we you know implemented this or launched this new app that got me out of a job that sucked. And so we will do that on occasion. But I I don't think about it too much, I guess maybe I should, but I do know that like, obviously like I see the stats and stuff, but it's hard in many ways to associate like a, an email address or a, a blip on the screen from some metric, someplace with actual people, I'll say, because it's, there's that level of abstraction. And I actually teach people this when I'm, when I'm talking to them about Blue Tick, is like every email address there, there's a person behind it, and you have to treat it that way. And I think it's very easy to lose sight of that, especially when you're looking at all these different marketing tools that you know measure this or analyze that, and it's like every single one of those is is typically keyed off of a person.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think we made a good move in launching MicroConf. Like I know, I remember the reason we did it and it was because the Micropreneur Academy had a community that was building and we wanted to meet people in person. But the fact that we now know in person, face-to-face, by name, so many podcast listeners, I think is a unique thing. Because if we didn't have MicroConf, how would we have met all these people? You know, maybe at BOS or maybe at other conferences. But that has helped me Understand who our audience is more. I think it's also helped shape some of the content that we produce and how we talk on the show. And there are days when I will outline a podcast or we're on the show and I'm saying something almost specifically to one person, you know, based on either one conversation I had with them or just kind of the persona of like, yeah, this person with this, you know, these WordPress plugins, this episode's for you. These are all my thoughts that I would tell you if I had the time to do an individual call with you, but instead I'm just going to record this the podcast. So I think that's been helpful to have real, it's not even personas, right? It's like real people on the other side of, uh, of the earbuds, because a lot of podcasts don't have that. You know, think about if you had 20,000 listeners and you didn't have a conference, how would you possibly know the people who are listening?
1: Yeah, you have absolutely no idea. I mean, I do the same thing to some extent as well on occasion where if I'm out loud in, in an episode and there was somebody who emailed me earlier in the week, or earlier in the month, and said, Hey, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And a lot of times I'll just kind of reiterate them through the course of a podcast episode because you can be a lot more expansive on a podcast episode than you can in an email. I mean, (laughs) I have tried to cut down on the length of the emails that I write these days, but it's easier to talk about it and just do a podcast episode on it than it is to drill into all the little details and edge cases in an email that's, you know, where somebody asked for advice about a specific thing. Speaking of which, that we should also put out a call and say, if anyone has questions that they want answered for the podcast, this would be a good time to send those in because we're running low on questions, I believe. Is that correct?
0: That's correct. Yep, and if you can send a, you know, you can call into our voicemail or or send us an MP3 file, or even just drop us an email because we are almost out of them. So we would get to your question quite soon.
1: We're accepting emails now.
0: Accepting emails (laughs) and accepting five star reviews on iTunes. I'm kidding. So I wanted to run through just a couple kind of. I was going to say favorite or most popular episodes, but I almost think I think the the ones that it's hard to know what resonates with different people. And it's like, I remember episode 47 was Movies for Nerds, and it was a bunch of kind of startup tales. And I remember that being a big deal for a while. And, and it, I think it had our higher, highest listenership of our first 50 episodes for quite some time. And then a favorite is always the podcast for startup founders, right? Episode 104, 240, and 395 are basically that, that episode. You know, it, it's, it's podcasts, and we've updated that several times. And then episode 255, Moving on from Audit Shark, Seems to have gotten, uh, there was like a spike in listenership on that one and some extra popularity, which I think is interesting. And you can still get that one in the podcast feed. I think the feed goes back to episode 254. Any others that you remember offhand or do they kind of all start to blend together at some point?
1: I think they blend a lot, to be honest. It's hard for me to go back and say, oh, this one, I mean, because I was there for the entire conversation. So, you know, it's hard for me to point to any particular one where it's like, oh, that really stuck out to me. Or I listened to that like half a dozen times because it was, I was involved in the discussion. So it wasn't, there's not many that are really pop out. It's like, oh, this is interesting. Although I have heard people have commented on the, the moving on from Autoshark and how difficult that was, especially leading up to that whole decision. So,
0: yep. No, that makes sense. I have gone back periodically and listened to I'll just go back and listen randomly pick 10 episodes. You know, I might go back like a year or or even a year and a half. I'll go back to the early podcast feed or you know, as far back as it goes, which I think goes goes back 150 episodes, so like I guess that would be almost 3 years. And I'll listen to 5 or 10 in a row and it's kind of fun. To walk down because it's a walk down memory lane, right? Typically, you're you're either working on auto truck or just moving on. I'm working on drip or even before that, hit tail, and it's interesting for me to see what I agree with that we say and what I disagree with. You know, I, I think things change that quickly that there are opinions that one of you know one or both of us had that i'm like you know what i don't think that holds true anymore or there are things we say that i, I th- i'm like wow that's really insightful It's yeah, a pretty smart thing and it's not patting myself on the back it's just like oh yeah like mike and i had a we had, we did have a solid answer a really solid answer to that you know that listener question or a solid take on you know pre-launch email marketing or that kind of stuff so it's kind of fun to do that i don't do that much but when when i do it definitely you know there's, there's some good content on the show i think
1: one of the things I wonder about is, I mean, a long time ago, we made the decision to put the transcripts of all the episodes out there, partly because, for SEO reasons, but also just so that it made it easier for us to go back and search through if we found something. And I think that I'm still very happy that we made that decision, even though it costs money for every single one of those transcriptions. But what I find interesting about what you just said is that when our opinions on something change, like there is still that record of what our opinions were at the time. and I wonder if there's any confusion that could potentially be drawn out of that by people who search for something and they say, oh, this is what Mike and Rob's opinions were on this back in, I don't know, like 2014 or something like that. And maybe it leads them down the wrong path. I wonder if that's a not nonsensical concern, but it's uh, if I'm thinking about that too much.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people have definitely asked for like an updated take on certain topics. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's hard hard to know or impossible to know, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't know unless somebody said, Hey, I followed this advice. And then you're like, Oh yeah. I th- now that, now that you asked me again, I'm thinking about that. And like, I would do something different now versus then. But I mean, that's part of the, the value of having that transcript or being able to say like, Oh, this is from four years ago or five years ago. I mean, people can also take that in context and say, Oh, it's, it's from X years ago. Does that still hold true?
0: Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I think, you know, you're kind of leading us to the, the topic of today's episode, which is probably just going to be a short, short conversation at this point, because I feel like the, this has been good, like just the reminiscing and talking about things I think is, is kind of fun to do. We don't do that very much. And so it's interesting to, to think about. But, you know, we titled this one, The Importance of Consistency. And I think the consistency of showing up every week has been perhaps one of our biggest weapons or one of our biggest strengths. In building the podcast, I know early on we did every week and then we kind of ran out of content about 20 episodes in, and then we started going every other week and realized that the listenership just was not growing at all, and then we just made it a commitment and we also made it easier, right We make it so that we show up, we record, and then it you know our editor does everything from then. I think that was a kind of a game changing issue for us was getting someone who essentially we can pay to really get the show produced. But that's the only reason, I mean, I think the two reasons we've been so consistent, I know from my perspective, is number one, because it's not a ton of work for me, right? Even in the the busiest and most stressful days of of growing drip or, or selling drip or, you know, all of that stuff, I knew that I could show up on the mic for about 45 minutes and you and I could record and that it would, it would be there. It's very, very rare that you or I miss an episode because we're too busy. I don't know that that ever happens. It's always because there's a vacation or we have a scheduling snafu or something, but I can't remember a time where you were like, you know what, I'm just swamped this week. I can't record. It just doesn't happen. We've prioritized it and it's on both of our calendars. That's the other thing. If this was a solo podcast, there would be so many weeks where I wouldn't show up. But the fact that I know that you're going to be there means I can't leave you hanging. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, I, I think that's that has to do more with accountability and having yourself accountable to somebody else. It's like a gym partner. You know, like if if you're going to the gym by yourself, it's a lot easier to fall off the wagon than if you know that your buddy is going to meet you there and you're going to lift weights on every Tuesday or four days or five days a week at 7 a.m. I mean, like somebody else is depending on you to be there.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And as you were, you know, you pulled a couple of references. There's an inc.com article and differenceconsulting.com and UeExpress. We'll link them up in the show notes, but these are talking about consistency and like the power of it.
1: Yep. And I think the first one is that for me, at least consistency builds like predictability. So for other people, it's essentially eliminating the unknown. So we drop this podcast early in the morning, every single Tuesday, almost without fail, excepting when there's a technical glitch. And when that happens, there are people who will email us and say, hey, I don't see the episode out there. What's going on? And it's just everyone knows it's going to be there. And if there's something that comes up where we're going to need to record an episode in advance, we, we make it happen. So we always have a contingency plan and we plan ahead and make sure that that's going to happen because we know that if we don't, we're going to get emails and tweets and things like that. Like, hey, where's the podcast episode? And that happens when there's a glitch. But, you know, we don't miss the episodes.
0: That's right. Yeah. And I mean, even like the weeks of MicroConf, right, which are super busy and, and taxing for us. We record ahead, in essence. You know, we we get an episode or two ahead. And I was thinking there was one episode. It was about f- maybe 40 episodes ago, so probably around 360-ish, where you, I think, went on vacation and, or something happened last minute and I was trying to get a guest and I couldn't.
1: It was th- episode 360, the one where Rob takes over the show.
0: <laughs> yes. And something happened where like my guests fall through, fell through and I couldn't get anybody on line. And so I, it's just a solo episode. And I comment in the episode, like... I'm doing this because <laughs> we, uh, we need to ship something, you know, and there, I'm just going to talk to the mic. And I, you know, I answered a bunch of listener questions that day and it was, it was actually kind of fun. I wouldn't want to do it every week, but it's that kind of thing. It's just making sure that we get, you know, something into, into your earbuds every, every Tuesday morning.
1: Interesting that you said you're going to talk to the mic,
0: <laughs> talk to the mic. I know. So yeah, consistency. I mean, I think it's done a lot for us, right? It's, it's built, it builds trust, it's predictable, right? So it eliminates unknown for for folks. And I think that it shows these these articles were saying it shows dedication. It shows that we're committed to something so that I think subscribing to a podcast and sticking with it, it is a commitment, right? And it, it's a bummer when I subscribe to podcasts and I get invested and then they just pod fade and and they disappear. And it's like, oh man, that sucked, right? And I think the fact that we do have this many episodes can be a show of of dedication and it allows people to probably trust us more that we're going to keep shipping
1: right the other thing i think is interesting is that early on what our our main goal with the podcast was really to help promote founder cafe but i think that that changed over time i mean because we we really don't promote founder cafe too much on the podcast. In fact, I've heard from people like you should should do (laughs) that more. Yeah. Yeah, Like you should promote founder cafe a lot more on the, on the show because then you get more people into it and then, you know, you get more conversations and there's the whole network effect that can go into that. So if you are interested, go over to FounderCafe.com. There's an application that you can fill out. It's a $100 per quarter and it's a set of forms you can join to interact with and ask questions of and get information from people about whatever it is that you're working on so whether it's a new marketing campaign or you have a question about how to use a particular product or what other products people would recommend for a certain situation uh, definitely go in there and check it out the application process is really just to help filter people out that are not a good fit so there are people where we've essentially turn them away because the in the application we kind of ask what what they want to get out of it and if they're not going to get out of it what they would expect then we're just gonna say hey look this is not a good fit for you
0: yep it's an online community of seasoned entrepreneurs just like you and you do a really good job with the application process and making sure that we get folks in there who are who are going to help each other succeed in essence foundercafe.com
1: I think the other interesting thing about the podcast and how we've been so consistent over time is that, you know, as I said, we we changed kind of what the main reason we were doing it early on was. But since then, one of the things that kind of comes to mind is back when we first started the podcast, there really weren't any other podcasts that were like ours or kind of catering to our audience. And it's interesting that I don't want to say sheer number, but that there are a lot of other podcasts that have popped up that are, I'll say, in a similar vein. They're startup founders working from home bootstrapped or self-funded and building something and just just talking about it. And I think it's really interesting to have seen those. But early on, and, and again, not to kind of toot our own horn here, but we're kind of trailblazing. And at this point, we're no longer trailblazing. We're like the, I don't know, the old somewhat dependable and I don't want to say broken down, but like the, the old, old old horse on the track.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's like you do it. I mean, I, sometimes I wonder, you know, if someone comes along and sees you have 400 episodes, like that's either really cool and shows you're consistent or it's overwhelming. You're like, well, I don't want to get into this show. There's already 400 episodes. I can't possibly catch up.
1: I was going to say potentially demotivating to certain people because they're like, oh, I would start a podcast, but these guys have got hundreds of episodes and who would listen to me if, you know, these guys are going that strong or going, going for that long?
0: Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it cuts both ways. I was thinking more from a listener perspective. You know, someone to come to decide to subscribe or not, the 400 episodes could, could honestly discourage them because they just can't catch it. It's like, well, I've already missed all that. I'm not, it's kind of like coming into a season or, you know, coming into a show or hearing about it when it's five seasons and it's like, well, I, I don't think I really want to watch all that.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, it's, I mean, that kind of happened all uh, with like TV shows and stuff like that, where, you know, like the Sopranos, like I'm never going to go and watch that. It's just not going to happen.
0: But I know. I've heard it so good, but I just, yeah, there's too many episodes. And there's too much good TV out these days.
1: So. I don't know. I mean, but I think that that's, I think that's a little bit different from what the this podcast offers just because the this podcast, like every episode is different and you can take it as a standalone thing versus something like a TV show where if you're not really involved from the beginning, it can be hard to get in there. But I saw, I think it was General Hospital has like 14,000 episodes or something like that. It was some ridiculous thing. They've been going since like the 60s or 70s and they just drop a new one every week. And I think I, I also saw... I think it was Sesame Street has some ridiculous number as well.
0: Yeah, yep. And you can drop into them. I mean, I think our podcast is more like Law & Order, you know, because it's episodic, right? It's like a single episode, start to finish, you can get value out of it. Or you can follow the story over the years. And that's what I've heard from people who like the podcast is they say they came for the content originally and the tips and the tactics, and then they stick around to hear what we're up to in essence.
1: Yeah, I guess it can go either way then. So what do you get out of the podcast these
0: days? (laughs) I, that's, that's a good question. I don't know that I've asked myself that question in a few years. You know, I think early on it was definitely because there was no other content like it. And I felt like it should exist in the world. You know, I want, I wanted there to be people talking about this stuff much for the same reason that we, you know, had Micropreneur Academy and Founder Cafe and MicroConf because we wanted them to exist in the world and we wanted to be part of those communities and, that's why the podcast in the early days, as well as to promote what's now Founder Cafe. And then over the years, I think it's helped. It's certainly helped with drip, you know, because just having the audience as an early, an early seed, you know, early kind of customer group was, was helpful. These days, I don't know. I don't know that I can point directly to something right now that I'm gaining from being on the podcast, but I do enjoy it. If that makes sense. Like, you know, I don't know that I gain anything by playing Dungeons and Dragons with my 11 year old, but it's fun. I think that's more of it, you know, and and I have gotten things out of it in the past. It's it's worthwhile certainly to, to show up and do the show because it has yielded so many things, I think, for both of us.
1: I think I would call it a random benefit generator. Like you don't know what the benefits are. Like it's hard to point to any specific thing like, oh, by doing this podcast, I'm going to get 75 new people added to my product and I'm going to make these certain relationships. But I think it's just hard to predict those in advance or even at the time and say down the road, I'm going to get these benefits out of it. Like There's definitely examples you can point to in the past, but I think that there's a lot of things that you just get this, random set of benefits moving forward that's hard to nail down and say, this is what I get out of it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Someone said, you know, you get a portion of the value, a portion of the value you put into the world, you get a small portion of that back. And I think that's a really apt and, and kind of insightful thought. And that has been true in my experience. I think that by putting the podcast out, there's value created in the world. And it probably, you know, based on people... They, do, they put in the hard work, right? The founders who listen to this, they put in the hard work. But if we have some type of influence or motivation or, you know, we provide something for them, I think there's a lot of value created in the world. And a little bit of that does wind up coming back to us, whether it's the ability to sell out a conference or whether it's business opportunities or whether it's, you know, if you or I needed to raise funding to do a, a small bootstrapped kind of angel round. I think that the podcast has made that so much more possible for us. And we've had other avenues as well. Obviously, I still have an email list for my blog. I have the book list. I mean, there are other things we do, but the podcast is probably the thing that you and I have done. Certainly for me, it's the thing I've done with the most consistency because of what we said earlier. It is, we've made it pretty streamlined and it's enjoyable and because of the commitment to do it. Because I think, you know, imagine if we missed a week
1: that would be I think the, the internet would freak out for a little while. It would be
0: it would be really but it would feel really weird to me to not have an episode. Or if we decided like what if we decided to you know that today was the last show mm-hmm. and and with 400 we're just going to be done. That would be really odd to not be putting something into the world. And I think that's the thing is, you know, blogging is so time consuming and as much as I loved doing it, I just once the businesses got in the way, and, and I needed to focus, I had to stop blogging, like I made that decision to do it. But I still want to be able to put thoughts into the world because I am experiencing new things, you know, and I, and I feel like I still have things to, to kind of teach and share with people. And the podcast is such a good way to do that, because of the low time commitment, you know?
1: And I also think that it's a better medium for doing it than a blog post where somebody might hit upon a blog post and they may or may not read it. But if somebody subscribes to your podcast, it becomes a much more intimate experience where they feel vested in the story and the uh, the people who are doing the podcast. And I don't think a blog conveys that level of connection between the reader and the author versus something where a podcast like you're in their ear. they your actual voice is in their ear.
0: Yeah, it's definitely much more much more engaging. And I think we learned that early on was like blogging. Like I had talked to a few podcasters who are also bloggers. And in our early days we had, I remember my, my blogging audience was 10 times the size of the podcast audience, but I felt like the podcast audience was so, so much more engaged and so much more willing to interact with us. And, you know, now that the the podcast audience has grown to what it is, there's just a lot of value in having people, you know, kind of listening, listening in through the earbuds, as you said.
1: So I guess we should at least give one tip for consistency, though, because we've talked about the importance of it. We haven't actually talked too much about any sort of tips for maintaining consistency. We talked a little bit about, you know, having an accountability partner or something along those lines. I think we briefly talked about the, what the goals are, the benefits of doing something for a while. But do you have a tip that you can share for consistency?
0: You just couldn't let it go, huh? You no, had I to go with the, with the patented startups to the rest of us formula. of had to go. Providing some kind of tip or tactic in every episode.
1: You want to give that tip on the next episode? That'd be a cliffhanger for episode four hundred.
0: Kind of. <laughs> oh man. No, I mean, I I think my my tips are I have a couple tips, and it's it's what I've just said. It's like if you want to be consistent, have that accountability partner where you have to show up. Make it easy, like reduce all the friction you can. So if you want to be consistent about going to the gym, have all your gym clothes already in the car. So you don't have to look for them in the morning, right? Just make it easy. And that's what we've done with the podcast, right? Is is hiring the editor and making the process. So we just let this get put into Dropbox and then it magically shows up in my feed five days later with a transcript and all that. I think those would be my my two biggest ones. It's like remove friction and try to have someone else bust in your chops if you don't show up.
1: (laughs) And I think those are good ones to leave off with. So, if you have a question for us, you can call it into our voicemail number at 1-888-801-9690, or you can email it to us at questions at startupsforrestive Our theme music is not served from router controlled by Moot, used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for Startups and visit startupsforrestive for full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, and thanks for sticking with us for four hundred episodes.
0: Nice work, man. High five on four hundred episodes. I'm pretty. I'm proud that we've done this.
1: Yep, me too.